0: Welcome to The Edit, a curated conversation navigating faith, politics, and pop culture with your hosts, Megan and Lara Beth. We're back with season two, and we are starting off with some fantastic conversations to help us navigate the challenges of our very polarized world, or just our family dinners, or yours. For our first episode this season, we are so excited to welcome our friend, Chris Pandolfo. He is the curation editor of Blaze Media. If you like what you hear on this episode, and we know you will, go check out his content at theblaze.com. As a journalist who has to wade through fact, opinion, propaganda, and the cold, dark world of the Twitterverse, with a blue check mark, Chris was possibly the best person to come on and give us perspective and help on navigating the challenging conversations around politics and faith that feed into the polarization of our world. With that said, let's get to the edit. Welcome back to The Edit. I'm Laura Beth Kursip, and I'm here with my co-host, Megan Ingersoll. And this is our first episode of Season 2 of The Edit. Can't believe it.
1: Welcome back, listeners. We are so glad to have you continue with us
0: on this journey. I cannot believe we are at Season 2. I know. It's it's hard to believe. And we <laughs> have a really great, awesome guest to kick it off. Um, I think this is going to set up our Season For presenting compelling arguments and persuasive opinions, which I definitely know I could use help on. So we are speaking with. Chris Pandolfo, and he is the curation editor for conservativereview.com and a staff writer at Blaze Media. He covers political news and trending culture and tech stories for The Blaze. He studied political philosophy and economics at Hillsdale College and is interested in conservative thought and American history. And he is a fan of progressive rock music. Welcome, Chris.
2: Hi, Laura Beth. Thanks for having me on.
0: Well,
1: Chris... That is quite the uh, bio there. <laughs> I was like, wow. So can you tell us a little bit more about your background? There's a lot going on there. Um, what is your day-to-day roles? How do those play out? It sounded like it was kind of two different positions. I know that you're, mm-hmm. um, you do a lot of research and um, writing. So what is your, I know that was your job title, but what do, what do you do actually?
2: <laughs> sure, yeah. So I write news stories for theblaze.com. Uh, generally, I write about four or so stories every day. And, uh, you know, I typically cover trending news. So whatever's going on in Congress, what's going on in the White House, maybe uh, things the state governments are doing. Like if Ron DeSantis is standing up to a COVID-19 uh, order from the federal government, usually I'm the one who writes about that. I cover that sort of stuff. And then uh, a conservative review, that stuff is for the blaze.com. And over at conservativereview.com, which is another website owned by Blaze Media, it's kind of like a, a drudge report light where we just we collect news story headlines and we link out to those different stories. And as the curation editor, I curate those headlines and I kind of edit them and make sure that people are getting good sources of information that they can go to and learn what's going on around them.
0: That is awesome. Yeah. Um, kind of today, we really want to jump into something I know and Megan knows you're personally very good at, and we've witnessed it in conversation before. <laughs> allegedly. <but laughs> allegedly. No, no, no. Yeah. No, no. You very are good at this. <laughs> yes. Um, but also something your profession demands, and that is the ability to research, reason, and present a compelling, thought, thoughtful perspective.
1: And honestly, when Laura Beth and I were talking about what is season two, you know, going to look like, we really wanted to start off with um, something that our listeners, yes, can be engaged with, um, but really utilize. And right now in our culture, you know, at large, um, there are so many opportunities for us to present our opinions um, and to hear things yep. we disagree with, and um, you know, be compelled to share our opinion or also just we hear things that we're not sure are true and we want to actually have good sources Mm -hmm. to present thoughtful perspectives so whether it's at large culture or in small circles with friends and family we just thought this was a really good topic to to jump into
0: yeah so basically our world is really polarized and we're all really upset at each other (laughs) and we have very strong opinions (laughs) and we just it's easy to offend everybody right so um Chris, can you start us off with maybe from your view, what are some key tenets, things you found to be really essential in composing a thoughtful argument?
2: Sure. So I think the place that we all have to start from when we're trying to communicate to other people what we believe, and maybe if somebody disagrees disagrees with us, persuade them to our position is, and not enough people do this, by the way. You have to have the humility to acknowledge that you might be wrong, right? And you have to have enough empathy to put yourself in the person you're talking to's shoes. And to you got to understand where they're coming from and why they might believe the things that they believe. And it's also very helpful to know what they believe about what you believe. Because the first thing you have to do is you have to develop a relationship with somebody if you're trying to actually have a relationship with them and persuade them to your position. You have to kind of get to know them. You can't just treat them as like an object to beat over the head with facts so that you win. I don't think there's points in winning an argument. Now, there is if you're like doing something like professional debating or if you're a politician and you want to win an election, right? But if you're actually like interested in having conversations with people, you got to be willing to have this back and forth and exchange of ideas. So start from there with humility. And and if you show people that you're willing to be receptive to their arguments, they're going to be more willing to listen to you. And that's going to lead to a productive conversation. Um, The second second thing is you got to know your facts, right? You got to know your stuff. You really have to understand why you believe the things that you believe. Um, You shouldn't just go on social media and see somebody you like say something and then repeat that without actually thinking about it. Like a lot of the the opinions and thoughts that I have and that I've they've been developed over years and years and years of learning new information. You got to be willing to learn, too. You have to be open minded, and you know you you got to recognize that your every opinion that you hold has evolved over time. Like I'm sure we can all relate to like I don't believe the same things that I believed ten years Mm. ago, and you got to recognize that's true for everybody. So people do change, people do receive new information. And if you could speak to that on like a human level, that's where you begin to have productive conversations.
1: That's really cool. And, and, you know, I was just kind of jotting down some of those thoughts as you were um, talking, so those those key tenets really were um, that humility, knowing the facts and being willing to learn and and, um, adapt or change.
2: Right. You have to care about what's true. So, yeah. You know, you know, every good conversation has to come from a place of honesty. Mm. If you're honest with people about why you believe the things they believe, and if you're willing to kind of be a little bit vulnerable with them, uh, then they're not going to view you as an enemy. And you shouldn't view them as an enemy mm. either. I think a lot of the problems in our uh, polarized culture and cultural moment right mm. now are people see what others think on social media that they disagree with (laughs) and whatever crazy radical idea from the left or from the right and they just attribute that to everybody who has like a d after their name or is a democrat or you know all these republicans are racist homophobic bigots or all these democrats are crazy communist socialists that's just not true right people are people and you got to get to know them as people and once you do that then you can have a productive conversation Mm. and you should be willing to you know agree to disagree sometimes and just love other people because that's, you know, what God commands us to do.
1: Yeah. And, and you mentioned in there again about, um, having, you know, knowing things that are true and you have to kind of start from Mm -hmm. a perspective, which may again seem like to a lot of listeners, like obviously, but I think that we all run into this where we just say things that we heard or read or, you know, on social media or whatever. So it may not be true. So where do we go to find quality sources? What are your You know, some of your personal go-tos or, checks that you run
2: a source sure. by. So one thing I, that I do whenever I'm trying to fact check something or, you know, learn about an issue that's going on in the news is it, it doesn't like, I don't have a specific source that I'm like everything that this publication prints, like everything out of the Associated Press, just to grab an example out of thin air. I'm not saying that the Associated Press is always <laughs> right, but every I, I, I don't approach it like everything uh, the Daily Caller puts out is true. And that's where I go to. That, that's just not how news and information works. People have different perspectives. And if you really want to get closer to the truth, you got to look at one news stories from different angles. So like if I'm watching the coverage of the Kyle Rittenhouse trial, which is happening this week, I'm looking at what is NBC News saying about it? And what facts and points are they highlighting? Uh, what is conservative media over the Daily Wire and our competitors for the blaze? What are they saying about it? And I, I kind of put those things together to build a full picture of what's going mm-hmm. on rather than just like I have my go to website and I only go to them for news. I, I think <laughs> it's a terrible way to approach the news. And th- think about it. Like if you just believed everything that you saw on cable news TV, like imagine you're, you're someone that, you know, who maybe is left wing and they don't agree with you and all they get their information from is MSNBC. You and I can clearly understand that MSNBC is giving people a skewed perspective that does not cover the full side of the truth, that doesn't tell the conservative side of the story. And so if you just got all of your news from that one place, you wouldn't have a full picture of what's going mm-hmm. on. So, if you, But if you completely ignore what they're saying in MSNBC as a conservative, you're missing out on what the left thinks and what they believe and why they believe it. And missing that component of whatever story is happening doesn't give you a full picture and it will hurt your ability to communicate what you think is actually true to those people. So what I do personally is I get it in my news from a variety of sources. I think Twitter is very good for that and just to find different fresh perspectives and to follow different people. Twitter is mostly left-wing. Uh, so uh, most of the new stuff you see on Twitter will be coming from a leftist perspective and then I counter-check that with what conservative commentators are saying and also kind of If I'm doing reporting for theblaze.com, you'll go to the primary source. Like, you'll call people and you'll ask for a comment and things like that.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really helpful. Yeah, what would you say, I mean, in the midst of an argument, I mean, it can become pretty apparent pretty quickly that someone is definitely getting their facts, their opinions from a left-leaning source. Um, And then, of course, how do we know we're not just getting our information from an echo chamber? Like you mentioned, Mm -hmm. Twitter can be very left-leaning as far as, you know, of course, what it prioritizes. But also, um, you know, for us, if we're, you know, going only to certain news sources, um, we might be in an echo chamber thinking that we're getting the other side as well. But what would you say would be the best way to fact check an argument that either you yourself have, or something that you hear um, and maybe something someone says to you or you read elsewhere sure. or just your own your own what you think is best to do in that case to fact check your own argument or someone
2: else's so if we're like talking about uh, like statistics or numbers or things like that you know uh, how much of Joe Biden's bill is going to increase taxes for example uh, like hard facts like that usually you can just google. Mm-hmm you know, and you'll cut you and try to find primary sources when you can, whenever possible. Don't look at what people are saying about what's going on. Try to actually find the thing that's going on. So something that journalists get that a lot of people just like who read the news media don't see is journalists will get press releases from people. And Lori, I think you've worked in PR departments before. Mm -hmm. So you know a little bit about this, you know, uh, PR people send and like uh, communications people for members of Congress and things like that—they send journalists news releases that explain what's going on, and then the journalists can either just take what's going, take their facts straight from that, or usually they follow up and ask more questions and do stuff like that. So, if, like from the industry's perspective, things like that, what I do is if I need to research something, I will Google it. I will look for original sources. Uh, I'll look for the source press statement rather than reading just what NBC News is saying about what this congressman said. Uh, I try to find video of things that are going Mm on whenever possible. And if I see a video uh, that's circulating on uh, social media and it's like a 30 second clip of somebody saying something that in that 30 seconds makes them look really bad. I always try to find the longer video because a lot of what you see on the Internet is edited Mm -hmm. and deceptive and it doesn't give you a full picture of what's going on in context. Mm. So always, if you can, if you have the time to do this, and a lot of people don't have the time to do this, which is why I do it for you at theblaze.com. <laughs> I try to find like a, a full video, a full picture of what's going on, and present it in context so people understand, they have all the facts and they can see this full picture of what's really happening rather than just the snippet and the snarky comment that somebody on Twitter made. Mm.
0: Yeah. I hope
2: that's helpful. Yeah,
1: no, that's really helpful. And I think that like I, so just like in background, and Laura Beth and I both um, taught a uh, uh, freshman speech, an introductory speech course to college students. And we would have to teach persuasion and, you know, how to present an argument and um, finding a
2: so honestly, you probably know more about this. Than no, no, <laughs> no, no, not
1: at all. Very, but these things are you know really ringing true. Whether you're you know having to research and write something from a perspective, or you're just having a conversation with a friend, you cannot listen to just one angle. You know, you have to know the opposing argument to your perspective in order to well present your own. Um, but then, mm-hmm. but then as well, you know, really making sure you're you're seeing the full picture of something instead of just that edited soundbite, um, which we do really live in a soundbite culture. I feel like Laura Beth and I are always saying this on the podcast that people are, you know, sharing snippets of information. We're not getting the full story. I know when we were talking to both um, Congressman Timmons and Representative Adam Morgan in our uh, first season, you know, about getting things done and and perception of, of issues, soundbite culture really came up in the conversation both times and I think that really does play into this as well um, mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: when you're having that conversation. So maybe a little bit of a, a different direction um, when presenting an argument. So you, you're being in an argument, having an opinion. When do you know when to quit? Like when sure. when is it best to say, you know, abort mission, it's time to bail out. Um, this is getting nowhere or I'm fed up. You know, is it... Is it do you plow mm-hmm. through being fed up? Is it better to stick with it and grind it out? Or is it better to just be like, no, I'm done with this? You know, How do you know? And perhaps the medium, if it's in person or online, impacts mm-hmm. that too? Um, right, if oh, other people
0: sure. are listening in mm. and they're like it, yeah, there's always that aspect. Too. So,
2: so this is a really important question. And I, I'm not sure if there's like a single answer that's gonna be helpful because this is just a social skill that you have to have. And either you have it or you don't. (laughs) You got to read the room, right? You have to be able to tell when somebody else is beginning to feel uncomfortable or hostile towards you. And you have to be able to know yourself. uh, If I'm talking to someone and I can feel myself getting mad Mm. and I'm not like mad at the argument, like I'm getting mad at them. That is not a healthy emotion. Now, sometimes there's like a legitimate reason to be mad at someone. Like if they're coming and they're abusing someone else, you know, there's a righteous anger that is acceptable to have. But if I'm getting like to the point where I just I'm getting sick of this person and I'm tired of talking to them and I just wish they would shut up. Typically, I think that's like a sinful or unhealthy emotion. And if you start feeling those emotions, maybe it's time to back off. You know, you have to remember, and this is really important, I think. uh, There is no, and I said this already, but I'm going to repeat it because I think it's that important. There's no, like, winning in the terms of, like, it's a game and there's a winner and a loser to this argument or this conversation that we're having. You don't score points. There aren't teams. You're dealing with another person, a human being, who is made in the image of God. And if you're a Christian, you believe you're called to serve and love these people. And if they don't know Jesus, you're supposed to be able to reach them for Jesus. And, you know, God is the one who does that, but you're the medium that God uses in the way that you— approach people in the way that you behave towards people ought to reflect what Christ did for us rather than, you know, our own sinful inclinations. So you just have to be willing to love this person. And if you're feeling those emotions of like being angry and or becoming resentful or bitter, just like, okay, maybe we shouldn't talk about this right now. Uh, Maybe we should just kind of move on and talk about something that we both agree on. Did you see the Buffalo Bills win this week? That was great. Let's talk about that. Mm You know, uh, you, you got to have relationships with people. It, it's not something that you can just like teach people to have if they don't know how to relate to other human beings. You, you just put yourself in another person's shoes and because like you and I don't want to be barked at, right? You you mm. don't react well when somebody just gets in your face right. and just keeps asserting some point you disagree with over and over again. Like You know that makes you uncomfortable. So why would you think that if you're doing that to another person, they're going to be receptive to that if you yourself aren't? You got to treat people the way that you want to be treated. And if you start there, then I think you can kind of get your own feel for when it's appropriate to disengage. Or maybe when you can kind of keep pressing and maybe bring somebody to your side. Uh, There's an illustration I think that is really helpful for this. And it's going to be a little bit difficult to convey over audio, but we're going to try anyway, because I think it's a cool illustration. <laughs> so imagine like you are on top of a mountain, right? And you're staring across and there's this other mountain and there's this person that you're trying to reach or you're trying to have a conversation or an argument with. And you're both atop these two mountains, right? And let's say you want to bring them from where they are to where you are. You are So this, this, you want to like take them and bring them over to your position. If you lassoed them and yanked them, and tried to get them to where you are, you wouldn't get them where you are. You'd be pulling them off their mountain and they'd fall into the valley and they'd hurt themselves, right? Hmm. So what you got to be able to be willing to do if you're trying to reach another person is you got to be up here. You got to be able to walk down your own mountain, go through the valley, up to where they are and take them by the hand and then bring them down and up again to where your position is. Hmm. Uh, That is how you begin to persuade people. That's the kind of the attitude that you have to take when you're trying to make a persuasive argument, you have to be able to put yourself where they are first Mm. in order to bring that. And then then when they trust you and when they see that you're not just trying to beat them over the head with something that you actually care about them and maybe you have a perspective that's worth listening to, Mm. then you start to see hearts and minds change. Mm. In our modern media culture, we don't do that because you can't do that in a five minute TV clip where you're one talking head on the right and there's another talking head on the left And what the host really wants is for them to yell at each other because that gets good ratings. That's our media environment. And like the more that we saturate ourselves in that environment, the more we're going to act like what we see. You know, human beings, we put out kind of what we take in. So if you're feeding on this negative media culture, if that's all you care about or watch in TV all the time, if you just get mad at people that cable news is telling you to be mad at, you're not going to have a productive conversation. And this goes for the right and the left, we both do this, and you have to have the humility to acknowledge that, mm. and that it's wrong.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I know for me, it can be really hard when it's something that's a moral issue. It can be like, oh, I mean, this is. You think of like an issue like abortion, something that I've worked in for yeah. for years, like as a paid position, and then um, still sitting on boards for. It. And you know, when I get in an argument on something like that, it's it's really easy for me to just get angry. And, um, and to even see the other side as evil and not even, Mm -hmm. and, and it's easy for me to just shut down and be like, no, I'm done with you and not just done with the argument. Um, but, and I have to work on that too and realize, you know, the other person just because they have... The opposite opinion of me that may very well be an evil opinion or it actually just not even the truth doesn't mean that they're not created in the image of God and doesn't mean that I, I should just shut them down because I mean, we know as believers something like the topic of abortion is something that people are deceived about it's not just um, mm-hmm. one logic competes against another logic but mm-hmm. from your perspective, and this is really helpful to me because I like the mountain aspect. I think mm. that's really, really clear. And it doesn't really matter if you're right and they're wrong. It's it's it, it's true, like, how you communicate is so, so important. Mm. Um, but do you have any personal experiences where you learned from them or, oh, no, this went really, really, really well when I did it this way? Anything mm. you can share from that perspective?
2: Mm. So, like... The most heated arguments that I think I have gotten into personally, and it mostly it's with family, and mostly it's on theology. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm going home, <laughs> I'm going home for Thanksgiving uh, this uh, weekend, obviously. And a couple weeks ago, my brother called me, and he's like, Chris, "Chris, Chris, I just read this awesome book, and he was talking about some kind of like uh, premillennial dispensationalist eschatology." <laughs> I don't hey, know y'all, don't time laugh to, like, at that. To find that.
1: Don't laugh at that. We've got varieties of opinions the, on this. Podcast. I know all three of us probably have a very different
0: <laughs> opinion see? on that.
2: So, you you guys instantly understand, but for the yes, audience and yes, yes. Christian thought, there's various yes. different <laughs> ideas about what happens in the end times. Yes. Uh, when exactly to which Jesus none of us coming, have been at if,
1: yet. So... Right. It's very, this exactly. is a good example because so, very valid for there to be differences of opinion on this. Yeah, and, and
0: for uh, our yeah. listeners, we're not about to start debating
1: this Yeah, topic. no worries. We're not <laughs> about to go too deep.
2: So like my, my brother called me the other week and he's like, Chris, I just read this book about this and he, I want to hear your thoughts on this and I want to hear your thoughts on that. And I was like, well, you know, I kind of, I'm not sure if that's right, and Jason was like, whoa, well, whoa, well, well, what do you mean? What do you, what do you mean that it's not right? Don't you read your Bible?" And I was like, "Yeah, I do read my Bible, but maybe I think I have a different interpretation of that." And he's like, "Well, okay, okay, we'll talk about this over Thanksgiving, and you do your homework, and I'll do my homework, and then we're gonna get together and just like." Go oh,
1: but at that's it. but that's good though in some <laughs> yeah. ways. You know how great to be able to have like you do your homework, I I'll do
2: mine, and... and I'm I'm actually ex- I'm looking forward to it. I'm excited about that's it. That's cool. It's yeah. gonna be fun for a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> but like in that kind of situation, you got to be able to clue into when like he is just like really asserting his p- opinion or even when I'm just really asserting my opinion. And I just think this he's way far off. I got to remember, I'm not here to be nasty. I'm not here to end a relationship with my brother mm. over maybe a different interpretation of scripture. Uh, I love my brother and I know he loves me and if I could be wrong and he could be right. If I acknowledge that and if I'm willing to put myself in his shoes and kind of understand where he's coming from, his arguments, then it's just a conversation about something that's a mystery. Mm. And the Bible and the church encourages encourages us to have these conversations. Mm. But if I let it turn into something like, well, I feel slighted because he disagrees with me, that's sinful and that's nonsensical and you shouldn't do that. Mm. So that was a very long-winded kind of response. But I think it's a good example Mm -hmm. of something I'm preparing for that's in this realm of like the two things you're not supposed to talk about at dinner, politics and theology. No, that's great. I love talking about that stuff.
1: (laughs) And I think that that's a really good example because I think with our podcast, you know, we really are intersecting politics, faith, and pop culture, and and all of those things do. I mean, I know maybe we we as a – or at least the culture at large maybe says – don't talk about those things, but that is what we're all talking about. You know, we're all talking about what's current. Mm -hmm. We're all talking about what we believe and we're all talking about how that lives out in our communities. So it really is all about those, those elements coming together. And if we don't have the ability to um, effectively communicate with other people and listen to them, um, you know, that's really important.
0: All right. So thinking more of social media, and I know you're on Twitter, Chris, by the way, you tweeted something today, which made me laugh. Um, you said you were talking about how you write a first line of something, and then if it's bad, you feel really guilty. What prompted that first song?
2: All right. So I was writing a story today on a cost estimate for Biden's Build Back Better plan. Mm. And for those that don't know, this is the big multi-trillion dollar social spending plan. At first it was $3.5 trillion. And then Joe Manchin, the senator from West Virginia, a Democrat, was like, we shouldn't spend that much. And so it became $1.75 trillion. And House progressives were like, no, 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 that's too low. So now it's hovering like at $1.8 trillion. And it's a spending plan on childcare and on, you know, the... Uh, environmental policies the Biden administration wants to pass, expanding Medicare and Medicaid and a bunch of other government programs, right? And so I was writing a story about the child care portion because there's some religious groups that are opposed to an anti-discrimination provision of the bill. And basically what it says is if you want our federal money, money for this child care program and if you're a religious provider of child care, like this is kindergarten and pre-kindergarten care for kids, uh if you're going to take federal funding or if you're going to participate in this federal program, you need to be willing to uh, abide by federal non-discrimination statutes. And when I say that, that makes sense and it sounds nice. But when you read it, I use the word federal like four times. And it's it's just the, that re- repetitive nature is bad writing. You should try to, ev- if for anybody who wants to be a writer out there, do not repeat words if you don't have to. Try to be succinct and pithy and less is always more because that Mm -hmm. conveys meaning in a way that's easier to read and when you're writing you ought to be focused about what your readers are picking up from that and you got to make sure you're communicating these ideas to them in a way language that they can understand so if i say it's a federal 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 thing five times in one sentence (laughs) when you're reading that it's just like what is going on here and so that's what i did the first draft of this sentence about it was like Uh, In order for this uh, child care center to accept federal funding funding from this federal program, uh, they need to comply with federal non-discrimination statutes at the federal level. And it's just like, that is just horrible writing. Why do I do this? I suck at this job. Who pays me? (laughs) What what is Gaston Mooney and Tyler Carden, the president and the CEO of Blaze Media, what are they doing hiring me? I suck. And this is why we have copy
1: editors. (laughs) To take
2: all all those mistakes and make them intelligible.
1: So there is the the inside scoop behind
0: Chris's tweets, Mm -hmm. folks. There it is. That's right. Well, that just made me laugh. The whole tweet (laughs) made me laugh because it brought me back to like expository writing class where I was basically taught if your first draft was great, you spent way too much time on it. So I was like, oh, oh, so who knows? Um, Because I think you said you felt guilty. And I was like, oh, I've learned not to feel guilty if it's bad. But that's too funny. Back on the kind of the social media approach and just in how we argument. how do you make decisions on when to comment, when not to, and when at large for our listeners, what are some tactics they can use when choosing to or choosing not to engage on social media platforms with opinions mm-hmm. they disagree with? Because I think there are times you should absolutely engage. And we had a previous guest on that talked about that, but a, a little bit, but can you speak into that?
2: Sure, this is a great question. So, and it's not the same for everybody. Like Some people have a lot of willpower to take an argument on social media and just keep going and going and going with it. For me personally, when I see something going on the news and I think of a witty comment to say, or I pretend to be witty anyway, uh, if I write it out and I look at it and I'm just like, if I send this, I'm going to have to spend the rest of my week defending what I'm about to say. Usually that's a good sign. Like maybe you should just like, keep your mouth shut. You know, you will never pay for a tweet or a Facebook post or whatever that you do not send. (laughs) That will never come back to haunt you. Uh, It will never show up in your permanent record. People won't dig it up 30 years later and try to cancel you because of it. So in general, silence is better, in my opinion. Now, if you can do something or say something online that's respectful, or at least appears to be respectful, because the whole medium of Internet communication is awful. Uh, reading stuff on the Internet takes away the tone of voice, which conveys meaning when you're talking to someone like in a conversation like we're having. Um, there's body language that you see when you're doing a video chat with somebody or if you're in person, which is most preferable at all, that conveys meaning in a way that the medium of reading stuff on the Internet cuts out. So it's very easy, excuse me, it's very easy to misinterpret somebody when you're just reading what they're saying on the internet. And you got to remember, like a tweet these days is 240 characters long. What you say is going to be taken out of context. Like there could be something trending on social media that day that you're commenting on that if three weeks from now, nobody remembers was trending and they'd look at your tweet and they're like, what is that guy saying? Maybe it was an inside joke to something that was trending on the internet. But Three weeks later, nobody remembers the joke. And out of context, what you said looks stupid or racist or bigoted or whatever. It's um, so just got you got to be mindful of the kind of the context into which you're speaking mm. on the Internet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when um, choosing
0: to engage, what might be some good indicators that it's a good, oper- good idea to do so? Because I agree with the he, yes, but- probably stay silent more often for sure.
2: So the thing that I do uh, is if I see like something that I know is straight up misinformation, and I don't mean misinformation like in the way that Facebook and social media companies are calling things that they disagree with or that disagree with the official government narrative as misinformation. I mean, like somebody's watching the Kyle Rittenhouse Mm -hmm. trial and they're saying that Kyle Rittenhouse was some racist who shot black people. Like, that is just a straight-up fact that is incorrect. Mm -hmm. He did not kill black people, and a lot of progressives thought he did because of the way the mainstream media covered it. They thought that he just showed up to this Black Lives Matter riot with a gun and started shooting rioters. Uh, The actual facts of the case, as demonstrated through this entire prosecution process that we had, in which he had his day in court and he had to present his side of the argument, you find out that, no, uh, these white protesters had approached him first. They brought weapons and they pointed weapons at him. Uh, He tried to disengage and they went after him. They threatened to kill him. And so he acted in self-defense is my reading of the trial. So if I see somebody who's like saying something on social media, that's just straight up factually incorrect, then I think I typically try to engage uh, just to correct misinformation. Not again, I'm not trying to win an argument per se, I'm not trying to beat people over the head with facts and just say, ha ha, you're wrong. Ha ha, I'm right. Aren't I great? I'm just like, if you want to have a productive conversation and convince somebody to hold your opinions, you have to make sure that everybody's operating in the same realm of reality and truth. Um, the COVID stuff is another great example of this because both sides have just gotten it so wrong in so many ways. Mm-hmm. Like if you take a look at the, the lab leak theory of the origins of COVID-19 versus like the natural origins theory. You know, scientists, a lot of scientists, are pretty convinced that the most likely explanation for where COVID-19 came from was this is a virus that naturally occurred in an animal that maybe leapt to another animal and then was transmitted to a human being somehow. And that's where it came from. And the other hypothesis is, well, there's this lab in Wuhan, China, where the first major outbreak of the virus was, and they just happened to study coronaviruses, And they just happen at this lab to be conducting a certain type of research that involves taking one virus and artificially manipulating it and making it more transmissible and maybe even more deadly. And perhaps it was leaked from this lab, which is why we haven't been able to find the animal host that the natural urgence theory says exists. And it spreads around Wuhan. It's 20 miles away. This lab is 20 miles away from the city where the first major outbreak is. Maybe it's possible the virus came from there. If you're taking one side of the argument or the other, whichever side you find yourself find is more convincing and you're leaving out of stuff, or you're saying that one theory is a conspiracy theory and the other theory is what the science has decided, you're not telling the truth. Because science, the science is pretty clear that both theories are plausible and there's not conclusive evidence in favor of either one. It doesn't mean that the coronavirus was a Chinese bioweapon that was hatched in Wuhan lab and unleashed upon the world to destroy America, right? You can't say that. You also can't say it definitely totally was not leaked from a lab. And anybody who says that is a racist against Chinese people. Mm. Right. So in a situation like that, I'm going to try to convince uh, to correct misinformation, be like, well, this is true and this is true and this is not true. And that's definitely not true. That's kind of where I see myself as a reporter, Mm. engaging in social media in the most productive way possible. The other way I do it is like if somebody is offering a piece of analysis that I just think is totally way off base. Uh, A good example of this is election Twitter. Election Twitter is really fun because everybody has their own opinion about what happened and why it happened. And most people are wrong because nobody really knows anything about how people vote. (laughs) Um, The Glenn Youngkin victories in Virginia a couple weeks ago. So the left was kind of taken by surprise. They're like, oh my gosh, what's happening? This, we lost because Biden didn't pass the infrastructure bill. (laughs) And if you... Listen to what people were saying about this. And they interviewed people. They're like, you're a suburban mom who voted for Joe Biden in 2020. Why'd you vote for Glenn Youngkin, a Republican in 2021? And they're like, well, uh, they wouldn't open the schools because of (laughs) COVID-19. And I really need my kids in schools. And when they did open the schools, they taught them a bunch of stuff that I think is terrible. Like this critical race theory stuff. The mainstream media uh, on the left, like CNN and MSNBC, they're like, oh, critical race theory is not taught in schools. Critical race theory is not taught in schools. Okay, the legal theory developed in law schools is not taught in elementary schools. Fair. But the, the the ideas of, like, white privilege and structural racism right, and the way that it's expressed in lessons where you're taking people and you're separating them by skin color and being like, this is a privileged group and this is not, mm-hmm. and you should feel bad because you're privileged. That stuff is happening in schools. Right, and
1: all it takes is one, so, like, for a mom, you know, to get, like, motivated by that is – is one instance of auto, you know, spelling test. The sentence is implying that, you know, the white student had privilege. Like all it takes is just for the example sentence to say something like that on a homework assignment and a mom receipt, like that is teaching Mm -hmm. it in a school. Like you're trying to indoctrinate a kid. Exactly. By, um, I mean, you are, you're educating through the structural sentences. I mean, we all do that. Like that's why you use certain examples in because you're trying to educate throughout the entire process. So if you utilize an example in a spelling test or in a grammar lesson or whatever, the kid is being taught. And so like all it takes is for a mom to see that one homework assignment and be like, what is this? You're trying to teach my kid. You know, I just so happen to have a Caucasian child and why is my child? I do not actually, I'm just like saying example. In case all the <laughs> listeners here are now like, oh my goodness, how Megan has a, this is a life update. Um, no, do not. But as a mom, I would say, you know, like I have a Caucasian child, my child, mm-hmm is feeling like, and even if my child hasn't told me that they're feeling, I'm still going to be very upset by this because, you know, I didn't ask for my child to be taught that. And, and that really, sorry, I'm jumping in on that, but I just feel like that is a very good point that like, yes, it's not like a legal theory that's being taught perhaps in the school, but all it takes is one example. And that is it being taught in a school. And that is enough to totally motivate a voter um, to make a, supposedly large switch from voting for Biden to voting for a Republican governor. Um, But it really isn't that large. You're exactly right.
2: (laughs) You're exactly right. And so if you look at that situation that was happening in Virginia, and your conclusion was the Democrats lost because they didn't pass infrastructure, then I'm not jumping in on social media to correct that, because I think that it, you know, I want Democrats to lose. I don't really care if Republicans or Democrats win in the abstract. I want people to make informed decisions for themselves because that's what liberty involves. Uh, so if you're listening to someone who's saying, well, it's because the Democrats didn't pass infrastructure, you're just getting bad information. And if you're a Democrat, you shouldn't want to hear that. You should want to understand why you guys lost that election mm-hmm. so that you can go and you can make better arguments for your position and convince the American people to support your arguments on the merits of what is true, not on what you want to be true. Right. So that's an, that's an instance where I will jump in on like somebody who's commentating on social media and be like, "Well, I think your analysis is wrong," and I don't do it like you're an idiot. Okay, I do that sometimes. And I'm usually <laughs> wrong when I do that. Don't like I, I like I'm not perfect. I can be snarky and I can be mean and I abuse social media in a way in lots of ways that I'm hypocritically in telling you not to abuse it. So I acknowledge that I'm a sinner first and foremost more than anybody else. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but generally that's not helpful to do that. I don't want to be the guy who's like, you're an idiot and you're an idiot and you're an idiot. You're all stupid. Mm. And I'm the smartest guy in the room. I don't want to be that person. I want to be the person who is saying, well, I think this is wrong and this is why I think it's wrong. And if this is wrong, these are the implications of this. Mm. And from there we can have a productive conversation about what's true.
1: Mm. Actually, an interesting uh, comment there, Chris, I know you were talking about how, um, you know, sharing things on social media. I rarely, I rarely comment um, on an issue. I have before. I've taken things down before. Um, Not a whole lot, but usually the moment you do it, you're kind of like, that was dumb. Like, let's not say that. But what the most engagement I think I've ever gotten on a post was during, and I may be wrong on that, but just like on a political post was the 2020 election right before, and like maybe a month or so before, I commented about um, equity and equality. And I just took some Mm. of the statements that have been, you know, just very commonly shared across all news sources that Kamala Harris had said and, you know, a a variety of other um, just like continuously espoused by the Democratic side um, about equity and its relationship to equality. And I just like put a statement out there that was like, here's what one side seems to be saying. Here's what the other side, you know, or here's where I stand on what I think these terms mean. And what I feel like it seems to display in most definitions pre twenty twenty, so, <laughs> so I I just said like here's where I think we're you know where we're what we're talking about when we say these words and why when I why I would react to the word equity or equality differently, um and why that's gonna impact my vote, and um it was so interesting because I just got like a zillion for me, you know, like to get like 70 comments on something is like a really big deal. And there were just like people commenting and and engaging and like saying like lengthy messages and disagreement or whatever. (laughs) And, um, you know, that to me was like shocking um, to have so much engagement. And I feel like I didn't respond a whole lot. It was like, thank you so much for sharing your opinion. I really appreciate that you had a thoughtful response to my perspective. Um, so I, I do think it is like choosing when to, to say something back and like when not to, it's not that I don't want to express my opinion further, but it was like, I just mm, not going to convince you on a social media post to change your vote or change your opinion. Yeah. So I, I think that's really been helpful today to hear about, um, how we can thoughtfully like humbly approach an argument and then make sure we have the right information or at least a full picture of what we're talking about and then be willing to enter the conversation to learn like to not just win Mm -hmm. um that there really aren't winners that it's it's people is there anything that you feel like you know we really haven't hit on in this concept of i mean we've hit on everything we've talked about abortion we've talked about the elections we've talked about crt we we talked about post millennialism and pre millennialism, and man, we're gonna get some heat on this episode. This is good. No, we're not.
0: <laughs> I hope we do. Actually, a lot of us like rooting for it. <laughs> no,
1: no. But anything that we've we've just like not covered about um, at persuasive arguments that you feel like we should.
2: I think uh, something I should have mentioned that I didn't earlier is one of the most useful things you can ask somebody in a conversation when you're having a conversation in person and try to have your conversations in person, because that's where you're really going to have that relationship building and that understanding that you're not going to get from social media. You're just, you're just not going Mm. to. One of the most important questions you can ask ask is, what do you mean by that? Because a lot of times people are operating under different definitions of words that you think you're holding in common. And you have a totally different idea and worldview and conception of something that you think is true from this other person that you're trying to communicate with. And if you're not starting from the same worldview, or if you're not starting from the same even definitions of what reality is, you're never going to be able to come to a common place of understanding where you can be like, okay, I see what you're saying. Mm -mm. You think this, and I can affirm this, but I don't agree with this. Right? That's affirming things and unaffirming things Mm. is part of what makes a productive conversation. Like you got to find the areas of common ground where you can be like, yes, you're right about this. Uh, You're right, we should take care of poor people. Just the way that I approach this is differently because you want to create all these social welfare spending programs and I don't think that's evil and I don't think that's wrong but I do think it might be inefficient and some of the incentives you're creating may be counterproductive to what we both want to happen which is people to suffer less and be able to afford the necessities and the goods that they need. Um right. That kind of language that I'm using there is an example of how I might approach some a Democrat who like disagrees with me on what nowadays seems like a relatively benign issue of should we increase government spending or decrease government spending. <laughs> yeah.
1: Right. Who are we kidding? Uh, everybody's increasing like some, government spending. Doesn't yeah, matter maybe. if you're a Republican <laughs> or a Democrat, unfortunately. Mm. Everybody's spending more. I'm spending more to fill my car up with gas. Yeah.
2: Yeah, It gets harder, obviously, when you're talking like about an issue of identity, like race sure. or gender. Mm-hmm. And something I think, like, not to criticize the right, because I don't want to be one of those pundits or conservatives who's always like, well, if other conservatives would just do what I say and be willing to think the things that I think, then we'd have a productive conservative movement that could win. <laughs> I don't want to be that guy. Don't be that guy. That guy's annoying at parties. Um <laughs> But, like, I think a lot of conservatives tend sh- would take something of value away from communicating with people, like, in the black community and in the LGBTQ community just to see why they believe some of the things that they believe about Christians or conservatives. Like, I, I grew up in New York for context, right? So New York is not a red state. There's lots of Democrats who live in New York. I don't come from that background of having all these people mm-hmm. in my community who agree with me. I was in a public school environment where it was the vast, vast minority to be like a practicing Christian and to like to be someone who actually believed the things that I was taught. And, of course, to be like a Republican or a conservative, uh, that was very unpopular. Like a lot of my teachers were liberals, too. And so they were very nice and they would like pro- poke me and prod me and like, why do you think the things that you think? And that was helpful for me, too, to have that. Someone ask me that in conversation because then I had to think through, well, why do I think the things that I think? Mm. And what reinforces what I believe and how can I better articulate this to other people? Like conservatives ought to have those kinds of conversations with people who really disagree with them on those hardcore issues of identity. Mm -hmm. And Christians specifically need to understand the ways in which people, uh, you know, kind of defend or make excuses for their sins. Because at the bottom of it is everything is a heart issue. And uh, when, when you don't love God, you love something in God's place that's attempting to fulfill that hole that we all have in our hearts where God ought to fit. And, you know, a, lo- a lot of those like anxieties that LGBT people feel about the way that they're treated come from a place of they're just afraid of not being loved, of not being accepted. And I'm, I'm just grabbing this issue because I've talked to a lot of LGBT people. I have people in my family mm. who have different sexual orientations. And it's not productive to be like, these people are all sinners, and they're all evil, and they want to impose this stuff on our kids, and we have to stop them, they're the enemy. You, you don't reach people for Jesus when you think like that. When you think of, what is wrong with their hearts, and how can I love them in th- this darkness that they're showing? How can I show Christ's love to them to make God more attractive to them? So maybe they can be, begin to come out of this sin that they're in. That's the kind of example that I think Jesus sets. Mm. Um, And that kind of approach to disagreement is what's going to ultimately help you build relationships with people, which is the most important thing. And maybe, hopefully, persuade them to your opinion. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm. This has written really, really helpful and good. Thank you so much, Chris. Mm. This also reminds me... um, Back when I worked full time in Ohio, I had a conversation off air with an NPR host and editor and um, because she knew who I was. I mean, I I was in her office every other week with a press release and conversation with her and we would talk everything from like her pets to the television shows we would watch. And then we ended up going somewhere into um, a a conversation that it took a turn. It was a fun turn, but it was interesting because You know, she she also had these kinds of conversations with the people on the other side, the people who were pushing abortion and um, because of where I was in advocacy. And I remember it came up in the conversation and she was like, you all are people outside of the issues that you put out there and you all have so much in common. I know you're not friends. I know that you don't talk to each other, but, you know, you all watch the same television shows. You all have the same kinds of pets. We have the same kinds of conversations. And if y'all saw each other on the streets and didn't know who each other was, you'd be kind to each other. And I was like, that's true. That's absolutely true. If it was raining, I'd probably, you know, hold the door open for them. I wouldn't know who they were. And um, that kind of stuck with me Um, because we can have these very divisive opinions. But like in the day to day, we're all people facing very similar struggles. And we can be very wrong on something that's incredibly moral um, or immoral and still. We're supposed to treat people with kindness. And, and if we're, I think your point too, if people just see us yelling at each other and we're not first off as Christians showing God's light and gospel but how we live um, and we're not being kind and we're not winning anyone to our side without even saying anything. So this has been really, really great and helpful in, in cementing how we should be treating those that we disagree with.
2: Yeah. Uh, I think that's what it means to be a good neighbor. And ultimately, when you're talking about politics, a polity is a community of people who have to live together and
0: mm-hmm. have to figure
2: out how to do so in a way that's nonviolent. Because through most of human history, you know, you killed the people you disagreed with, and that's a bad thing. We want to avoid that. It, it sounds <laughs> stupid, but like the reason the reason that we no, have yeah. the reason that we have communities, the reason that we live, we, ha- we all have to live next to somebody. Mm-hmm. Somebody's going to be our neighbor, and we have mm-hmm. to figure out how to live together peacefully. Mm-hmm. And that starts by loving others and treating them as you want them to treat you.
0: Mm-hmm. And
2: from there, you can be kind, you can be humble, you can be have a servant's heart. And if everybody lived like that, there would be no social ills and everybody would live perfectly and in peace. And sin gets in the way with that. But we, the hope that we have as Christians is Jesus came and he died for us. And one day we will live like that mm-hmm. because of what he did for us.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: We've hit it all. We've even gotten the gospel in, Chris. Way to go. We appreciate it. So, um, Chris, how can our listeners find you um, on social media? So now they can all comment to you and come after you for your... I know. Uh,
0: send, uh, send Chris all the hate, not us. Sure. For
2: <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I don't recommend this because I don't think I'm that great. But if you want to follow me uh, for news and stuff, uh, Twitter is probably the best place to do that. It's at Chris... C. Pandolfo. So that's like just my name, my middle initial C and my last name, Pandolfo mm-hmm. at Chris C. Pandolfo on Twitter. Um, and you'll know it's him. <laughs> well,
0: no, you'll know it's him if there's because a little blue check mark next to his name. <laughs> that's true.
2: I, I I did bribe the company into helping me get one of those blue checks. It only cost me a little bit of my soul, but yeah, Twitter's the place to find me. If you're looking for me on social media, uh, if you want to read what I'm writing, you can find that at the blaze.com. Um, if you want to become a Blaze TV subscriber from time to time, I'm a commentator on The Steve Dace Show, uh, which is at noons, and he broadcasts out of Iowa. And Blaze TV, for those that don't know, is a great subscription TV service with a lot of really smart, funny, entertaining, conservative commentators. Uh, we've got Glenn Beck. We've got Mark Levin. Uh, we've got Steven Crowder. who's a big guy for people who are more our age. Mm. Um, it's only like... Uh, I want to say ten bucks a month right now. Yeah. Uh, fact check me on that, but it, it's not a huge monetary commitment. Mm-hmm. And I think the content that you get is really good.
1: That's awesome. So you can find
2: me from time to time on Blaze TV, writing mm-hmm. for com. and if mm-hmm. you want to see what news or stories I think are important, you can find that at conservativereview.com. Yeah. Perfect. Awesome.
0: Well, thank you so much. This has been so great, and we've we so enjoyed yeah, having you it's on. Been fun. <laughs> Absolutely. Well. Go and follow us at The Edit on Instagram, The Edit on Facebook, and The Edit on Twitter. And we will catch you for, for episode two.
2: Sure. So I think the place that we all have to start from when we're trying to communicate to